We present John Moffat as Hercule Poirot and André Moran as Monsieur Bouc in Agatha Christie's Murder on the Orient Express. It is a disaster, une catastrophe. The Orient Express is trapped in a snowdrift. It may be days before we can get it moving again. For me, a director of the company, this would be bad enough. But can you imagine, in one of the compartments, a man lies dead, murdered, stabbed 12 times. My only hope lies in my old friend Hercule Poirot, who, most fortunately, is a passenger on the train. So, we have established two things. The murderer is with us still on the train, and he or she is a passenger on the Stamboul-Calais coach. Will you need to question all of them? Certainly, Monsieur Bouc. Now, we must find somewhere to conduct the interviews. I will get Michel to clear the passengers out of the restaurant car. Ah, yes, Michel. We must put him on our list. Michel? But he has worked with the company for years. Nevertheless, we must overlook no one. Now, I think that while they are clearing the restaurant car, we should pay a call on Mr. McQueen. He may be able to enlighten us about his late employer. So, they got him after all. What exactly do you mean by that phrase, Mr. McQueen? Uh, I must get this clear. Who exactly are you, gentlemen, and where do you come in? I am a director de la Compagnie Internationale des Wagons-Lits, and this gentleman is a detective active on my behalf. My name is Hercule Poirot. You know the name, perhaps? Why, oh, yes, it does seem kind of familiar. Only I thought it was some kind of a woman's dressmaker. <sighs> it is incredible. What's incredible? Mm -hmm. oh, it is nothing. Let us continue. I want you to tell me, Mr. McQueen, all that you know about the dead man. You were not related to him? No. I'm... I was his secretary. For how long have you held that post? Just over a year. I met Mr. Ratchet when I was in Persia looking into an oil concession. It had all gone rather badly. Mr. Ratchet was staying in the same hotel. He just fired the guy who'd been his secretary. He offered me the job and I took it. I was glad to find a well-paid job ready-made, as it were. And what uh, did it involve? Very little. Mr. Ratchet wanted to see the world. He was hampered by knowing no languages. I worked more as a courier than as a secretary. It was a pleasant life. Now, tell me all you can about your employer. That's not so easy. I knew very little about him at all. Mr. Ratchet never spoke about himself or his life in America. Why do you think that was? Mm, I don't know. I guess he might have been ashamed of his beginnings. Some men are. But you must have formed some theory about him. Well, yes, I did. For one thing, I don't believe Ratchet was his real name. I think he left America in order to escape somebody or something. And he was pretty successful, until a few weeks ago. What happened then? He began to get letters. Threatening letters. Did he show them to you? Oh, yes. It was my business to attend to his correspondence. The first letter came about two weeks ago. I got them in my briefcase. Do you want to see them? Of course. This is why you said, so they got him after all, hmm? That's right. Here you are. This was the first letter. Ah. Thought you'd double-cross us and get away with it, did you? We are out to get you, Ratchet, and we will get you. And this came a few days later. 
We are going to take you for a ride, Ratchet. Sometime soon we are going to get you. Huh. How very curious. Pretty crude, aren't they? This one was obviously written by two people, each writing a letter of a word at a time. Now tell me, how did Mr. Ratchet react when he received the first? He passed it off with a laugh. But I could see there was quite a lot going on underneath. Now tell me honestly, did you like your employer, Mr. McQueen? <laughs> no, I did not. And uh, why was that? To tell you the truth, I disliked and distrusted him. He seemed to me to be a cruel and dangerous man. That's just a hunch. I've got no proof of it. Well, thank you for being so honest. One further question. When did you last see Mr. Ratchet alive? Last evening, about uh, 10 o'clock. I went into his compartment to take down some memoranda from him. On what subject? Oh, nothing very exciting. Uh, some stuff about tiles and antique pottery he'd bought in Persia. Well, that is all for the present, Mr. McQueen. I should be obliged if you would keep the matter of Mr. Ratchet's death to yourself for a little time. I'll do my best. Thank you, Mr. McQueen. I shall be interviewing all the other passengers in the restaurant car very soon. But first, I, um, I think I had better view the body. Oh, you will forgive me if I do not accompany you, mon cher, but uh, one look was quite enough. I thought it best to leave the window open, since that is the way we found it. You did right, Doctor, but it is bitterly cold in here. In my opinion, this open window is an attempt to deceive us that the murderer left that way. But if he had, there would have been traces in the snow, even supposing that he could have got through it at all. As you can see, there is nothing. I agree with you, Doctor. And since there are no fingerprints, I think we may safely close the window. The body is exactly as I found it. I opened the pajama jacket, that is all. Mm, it is not pretty. Someone must have stood here and stabbed him again and again. How many wounds are there exactly? There seem to be twelve, but it is difficult to tell. The blows seem to have been delivered in a most haphazard and random way. One or two are so slight as to be practically scratches. On the other hand, at least three would be capable of causing death. And there is something else that puzzles me. And what is that? You see, these two wounds, here and here, mm. they are deep. Each cut must have severed blood vessels, and yet the edges do not gape. They have not bled as one would have suspected. Which suggests? That the man was already dead. <laughs> Some time dead when the blows were delivered, but that is surely absurd. It would seem so. And there is one other thing. You see this wound here, under the right arm? Mm -hmm. Could you pretend to deliver such a blow? Here, take my pencil. Ah. Ah, I see what you mean. Hmm? With the right hand it is almost impossible, but if the blow was struck with the left hand... Exactly. And yet, some of these other blows are obviously right-handed. Two people were involved in writing the threatening letters. Was the killing also carried out by two people? Was the electric light on? No, the light over the bed had been turned off. Eh bien. So we have here a hypothesis of the first and second murderer, as the great Shakespeare would put it. <laughs> the first murderer 
stabbed his victim and left the compartment turning off the light. The second murderer came in in the dark and stabbed at least twice at a dead man. What do you think of that? <laughs> Most ingenious. <laughs> you think so? It sounded to me a little like nonsense. What other explanation can there be? That is just what I am asking myself. Are there any other signs that would point to two people being involved? I think there are. Some of the blows must have been relatively feeble, while others required great strength. You mean they could only have been delivered by a man? A young, vigorous, athletic woman might have struck them, especially if she were in the grip of a strong emotion. But, in my opinion, it is most unlikely. And the victim? The victim, what does he do in all this? Does he cry out? Does he struggle? Does he... Ah, you see? A pistol. Then why did he not use it? But there's a glass on the wash basin. That's why. Drugged? Yes. And in the ashtray, some fragments of charred paper. What do they have to tell us? There's something on the floor. Hmm. A dainty little cambric handkerchief with an initial embroidered on it, H. Then our friend Monsieur Pouc was right. There is a woman concerned in all and this. And most conveniently she leaves her handkerchief behind. And to make things easier for us, it is marked with an initial. Aha, uh -huh, what have we here? A pipe cleaner. And as far as I know, Ratchet did not smoke a pipe. Oh, a valuable clue. And dropped most conveniently for us to find. Was there any sign of a weapon? None at all. But I failed to notice this when I examined the dead man. His watch? Mm, it was in his pyjama pocket. And it has been so badly dented that it has stopped at a quarter past one. If that is the time he was attacked, then that agrees exactly with my own calculations. Mm, it is possible, Doctor. It is certainly possible. But what I need now is a woman's old-fashioned hat-box. <laughs> What on earth for? Perhaps the conductor will be able to help me. I don't understand what you are trying to do, Monsieur Parot. Can you explain? It is fortunate that the Swedish lady should be so far behind the times. These two humps of wire were intended to keep the hat in shape. I trust she will not miss it. But what are you planning to do with it? Now watch carefully, Doctor. If I put this fragment of charred paper which we found in the ashtray between these two humps of wire and heat it slowly over my little spirit lamp, we may find something which may tell us about the crime. I don't understand you. What do you expect to find from the burnt paper? Watch carefully, Doctor. The paper is now held in place by the wire cages. If I light the spirit lamp and hold it under the paper... Do you see? Something is appearing. Can you read it? I can just make out the words. Member little Daisy Armstrong. Daisy Armstrong. It is enough. It tells you something. It does. I know the real name of the dead man. I know why he had to leave America. What was his name? Cassetti. Cassetti. Brings back something to me, but I cannot remember. Uh, it was a crime in America, was it not? Yes, it was in America. 
The Armstrong baby. Of course. The little girl who was kidnapped and murdered. Colonel Armstrong was an Englishman, a distinguished soldier, a V.C. He married the daughter of Linda Arden. Linda Arden was a very famous actress in her time, I remember. A great celebrity. The Armstrongs lived in America and had one child whom they worshipped. When she was three years old, she was kidnapped and an impossibly high sum demanded as the price of her return. And after the money had been handed over, they found the little girl's body. She had been dead for at least a fortnight. Her mother, Sonia Armstrong, was expecting another child at the time. The baby was born dead, and Mrs. Armstrong died shortly after. Her poor husband shot himself. Wasn't there another death? The housemaid or someone? Yes, she was uh, French or Swiss, I think. I can't remember now. The police were convinced that she was somehow involved, and in a fit of despair, she threw herself out of a window. And it was subsequently proved that she was absolutely innocent. But surely the kidnapper was arrested, wasn't he? Oh, yes, yes. Cassetti was arrested. He was the head of a kidnapping syndicate and enormously rich. He was also a blackmailer. Either through massive bribery or through fear of some private scandal, the court acquitted him. There was some uh, technical inaccuracy in the indictment. You can well imagine the public outrage. Mm. Cassetti managed to get out of the country before he was lynched. So, presumably, he has been living abroad under an assumed identity all this time. Mm. I cannot regret that he is dead. He deserved to die a hundred deaths. Even so, my friend, a murder is a murder. And it has to be investigated. Do you think that the letter was deliberately burned so that Cassidy's death could not be connected with the Armstrongs? Almost certainly. Are there any members of the Armstrong family still living? That, unfortunately, I do not know. I think I remember hearing of a younger sister of Sonia Armstrong, but I cannot be sure. Ah, that is what is so difficult about our present situation. We are cut off from the world. No telephone, no way of verifying the identity of the passengers. So this lady could be among the people travelling on this train? That remains to be seen. Ah, but the restaurant car must have been cleared by now. It is time to commence the examination. Perhaps we might start with the conductor, Pierre Michel. Mm -hmm. He has been with the company for 15 years, and he has an excellent record, honest and conscientious, but uh, he's worried that someone might hold him responsible. He's not remarkable for his brain power. It is a terrible thing to happen. In all these years working for the company, I have never known anything like it. Calm yourself, my friend. Let us concentrate on the facts of the case. At what hour did Mr. Ratchet retire for the night? Oh, almost immediately after dinner, monsieur. It was before we left Belgrade. Did anyone go into his compartment afterwards? His valet, uh, Monsieur Masterman. And that is the last you saw or heard of him? Oh, no, monsieur. He rang his bell uh, about uh, twenty to one, uh, soon after we had stopped in the snow. Uh, tell us what happened. I knocked on his door, but he called that he had made a mistake. In English or French? In French. He said, Ce n'est rien, je me suis trompé. That is true, I heard him myself. And then you went away? Uh, yes, monsieur. I went to answer another bell that had just rung. And uh, where were you at a quarter past one? I was at my seat at the end, facing up the corridor. You never left it? I did, but uh, only for a moment. Uh, I went into the Athens coach to speak to my colleague about the snow. Uh, that must have been uh, soon after one o'clock. And when did you return? Uh, one of my bells rang. Uh, you will remember, monsieur. Uh, the American lady was certain that somebody was in her compartment, and uh, 
After that, you yourself rang. And then? I went to make up the bed in uh, Monsieur McQueen's compartment. And after that? After that, I sat in my seat until morning. And did you notice any of the passengers moving up or down the corridor? No, one of the ladies went to the toilet at the far end, I think. Uh, past uh, Monsieur Ratchet's compartment? Uh, yes, Monsieur Bouc. Uh, which lady? I do not know, Monsieur. She had her back to me. Uh, she was wearing a red kimono with dragons on it. Uh -huh. Let us pass to another matter. Supposing that an assassin joined the train unnoticed last night, could he have left it after committing the crime? I don't see how he could have done. Uh, the snow was right up to the doors and windows. Could he be concealed anywhere on the train? No, no, there has been a most thorough search. It is impossible. And besides, no one could get into the sleeping car without my seeing them. Now, the last stop was Vinkovtsi, was it not? Yes, monsieur. Uh, we should have left there at 11.55, but we were nearly 20 minutes late because of the snow. Uh, did you yourself descend from the train? Uh, yes, monsieur. I got down on the platform as usual and stood by the step up into the train. Uh, the other conductors did the same. One thing more. You said that another bell rang while you were knocking at Mr. Ratchet's door. Whose was it? Princess Dragomirov's. Uh, she asked me to summon her maid. You did so? Yes, monsieur. Right, that is all for the moment. <laughs> monsieur does not blame me. Oh, you have had the evil chance, my friend. Do not distress yourself. Could you tell me who alerted you that all was not well with Mr. Ratchet? His valet, Monsieur Masterman. Ah. Then I think we had better see him next. Uh, Monsieur Book, I have instructed the men to clear the snow from the doors and windows. I, I trust that is in order. Uh, there is no chance that the murderer may escape into the oh, snow? No, monsieur. It is piled up at least six feet on either side of the track. Uh, then go ahead and uh, send uh, Monsieur Masterman along to us. Uh, there was nothing unusual about his being late for breakfast. Sometimes he wouldn't get up until lunchtime. But last night he made a particular point about my ordering his breakfast. Uh, that was why I was worried when he didn't answer. At what time did you last see Mr. Ratchet? Oh, it must have been about nine o'clock last night, sir, or a little after. And was there anything about his manner that uh, struck you as unusual? I think he was upset. Uh, in what way? Over a letter he'd been reading. He wanted to know how it came to be in his compartment. He inferred that I might have put it there. Of course, I told him that it was nothing to do with me. And then he started finding fault with things. He could be extremely trying when he was in a bad mood. Was your master in the habit of taking a sleeping draught? Well, always when travelling by train, sir. He said he couldn't sleep otherwise. Uh, can you tell us uh, what the drug was? Oh, I couldn't say. Uh, there was no name on the bottle. Just the sleeping draught to be taken at bedtime. Mm. And uh, did he take it last night? Oh, yes, sir. I poured it into a glass and put it on top of the toilet table, ready for him. You didn't actually see him drink it? Oh, no, sir. Oh. Tell me, Mr. Masterman, what was your opinion of your employer? I have always made a point of never having an opinion of my employer, sir. Mm, but uh, even so... Mr. Ratchet was always very generous, uh, financially. But did you like him? <laughs> Shall we put it, sir, that I don't care very much for Americans? Have you ever been in America? Oh, no, sir. Do you remember reading in the papers of the Armstrong kidnapping case? Oh, yes, indeed, sir. A little baby girl, wasn't it? A very shocking affair. Did you know 
that your master was the principal instigator of that kidnapping. Mr. Ratchet, Oh, I can't believe it. Is that true? It is true, Mr. Masterman. Now, to pass on to your movements last night, what did you do after leaving Mr. Ratchet? I went back to my own compartment and read. And uh, your compartment was... Um... Uh, number four in the second class, uh, next to the dining car. Uh, oui, oui. Uh, you are sharing it with Signor Foscarelli. Does he speak English? Uh, well, a kind of English, sir. He's been in America. Uh, Chicago, I understand. Uh, do you and he talk together much? Oh, no, sir. I prefer to read. Uh-huh. And uh, what, may I ask, are you reading? A Love's Captive by Mrs. Arabella Richardson. A good story? I find it highly enjoyable, sir. Oh. Ah, well, uh, let us continue. You returned to your compartment and read Love's Captive till when? Oh, at about 10.30 the Italian gentleman wanted to go to bed, so the conductor came and made the beds up. And then you went to bed and to sleep? I went to bed, sir, but, alas, not to sleep. And uh, why was that? I had toothache. Ah, it is very painful, toothache. Did you do anything for it? Well, I applied some oil of cloves, which relieved the pain a little, but I was still not able to get to sleep. I turned the light on over my bed and went on reading, uh, to take my mind off it. And, uh, Signor Foscarelli? Oh, he slept very soundly, sir. He snored a good deal, which was particularly trying. Did he leave the compartment at all during the night? Oh, no, sir. And did you? Oh, no, sir. No. Well, there seems very little else to be said. Oh, by the way, are you a pipe smoker? Oh, no, sir. Uh, just the occasional cigarette. Uh-huh. Thank you, Mr. Masterman. That will do. Uh, <clears throat> I hope you won't think me presumptuous in mentioning it, sir, but the American lady, Mrs. Hubbard, is in something of a state and is carrying on rather considerably. She's saying she knows all about the murderer. I thought you ought to know, sir. Oh, well, thank you very much for drawing my attention to it. In that case, we had better see her straight away. Would you be so kind as to uh, ask her to come along? Of course, sir. What I've got to tell you is this. I've heard they're saying there was a murderer on the train last night. Well, the murderer was in my compartment. You are certain of this, madame? Of course I'm certain. I was asleep, and suddenly something woke me up. And I knew right away there was a man in my compartment. I was so scared, I couldn't even scream. I lay there and I thought, I'm going to be killed. <gasps> what the hell was that? It is nothing, Madame Hubbard. They are just uh, clearing the snow from the windows. I'm just a bag of nerves. I don't know what my daughter would say. Where was I? Uh, you thought you were going to be killed. Well, somehow I got my wits together. And I felt about with my hand and I pressed the bell for the conductor. I rang and rang, but nothing happened. And I can tell you, I thought my heart was going to stop beating. Mercy, I thought to myself. Maybe they've murdered everyone on the train. The train was at a standstill, and there was an eerie silence everywhere. And then I heard footsteps coming along the corridor, and the conductor knocked at the door. I screamed at him to come in, and I switched the light on, and would you believe it? There wasn't a soul there. Are you sure it wasn't just a nightmare, madame? That's just what the conductor said. He was convinced I dreamed up the whole damn thing. 
I made him look under the seat, though he said there wasn't room for the man to squeeze himself in there. It was plain enough that someone had been in and had got away again. But how do you think he could have got away? Well, you know, I got it into my head that it was the man from the next compartment, the fellow that's been killed. I have to admit I didn't like the look of him from the start. There was something about him that really frightened me. I told the conductor to look at the connecting door between my compartment and his, and sure enough, it wasn't bolted. But, madame, if you were so frightened of this man, why didn't you make sure that the door was bolted before you went to sleep? Oh, I did. You did? Well, as a matter of fact, I asked that Swedish lady to see if it was bolted, and she said it was. Uh, how was it that you could not see it yourself? Because I was lying down on my bed and my sponge bag was hanging on the door handle. She'd come into my compartment to see if I'd got an aspirin. And what time was this? It must have been around half past ten or quarter to eleven. Poor soul, she was in a state. She even opened the door of the next compartment by mistake. Monsieur Ratchets? She was most distressed about it. He laughed, apparently, and I rather fancy he said something not quite nice. Poor thing. She was all in a flutter. Uh, did you hear any noise from Mr. Ratchet's compartment? Well, not exactly. What do you mean by that? He snored. And did you hear him snore after the scare about a man being in your compartment? How could I? He was dead. Ah, yes. <laughs> How stupid of me. <laughs> uh, Mrs. Hubbard... Do you remember the affair of the Armstrong kidnapping? Yes, indeed, I do. And that evil killer got clean away with it. I'd have been happy to turn the switch on the electric chair myself. He did not get away with it, Mrs. Hubbard. He is dead. He died last night. You mean it was him? The man next door? Didn't I say he had an evil face? My daughter says I've got a nose for that kind of thing. Were you acquainted with any of the Armstrong family, madame? No, they moved in a very exclusive circle. But I've always heard Mrs. Armstrong was a perfectly lovely woman and her husband worshipped her. Uh, Mrs. Hubbard, you have helped us very much. Oh, by the way, do you have a scarlet silk kimono? Mercy me, what a question. I've got two dressing gowns, as a matter of fact. There's a pink flannel one that was quite cosy on board ship and a purple silk affair my daughter gave me. Why do you want to know about a scarlet one? Tell me, it sounds interesting. Oh, well, you see, madame, someone in a kimono of that colour entered your compartment or that of Mr. Ratchet last night. I can tell you that no scarlet kimono came into my room. Then she must have gone into Mr. Ratchet's. That wouldn't surprise me any. Do you mean that you heard a woman's voice in his room? Well, yes, as a matter of fact, I did. But when I asked you just now if you heard anything from next door, you said you only heard Mr. Ratchet snoring. Well, it wasn't a very nice thing to talk about. Hmm. Was this before or after you thought there was a man in your compartment? It was before, of course. He wouldn't have had a woman talking to him if he was dead, would he? <laughs> Decidedly not. Ah, you must think I am... A very slow witch. And I didn't think there was a man in my room. He was there, all right. And what's more, I've got proof of it. You see this button? It's certainly not one of mine. I found it this morning when I got up. But this is a button from the tunic of a wagonly attendant. Perhaps it came off the conductor's uniform when he was searching your room last night. I just don't know what's the matter with you people. Why can't you just accept what I saw? 
I was reading a magazine. When I turned the light out, I placed the magazine on a little case that's standing over by the window. Have you got that? Yes, madame. Very well, then. The conductor looked under the seat from near the door, and then he bolted the communicating door to the next compartment. He never went anywhere near the window. He was only in my compartment a minute or so. Well, this morning, that button was lying right on top of the magazine. What do you call that, I should like to know? That, madame, I call evidence. So now do you believe that the killer was in my compartment last night? Well, do you? In part two of Agatha Christie's Murder on the Orient Express, Hercule Poirot was played by John Moffat and Monsieur Bouc by Andre Moran. Mrs. Hubbard, Sylvia Sims, Pierre Michel, Frank Windsor, Dr. Constantine, Peter Polycarpu, McQueen, James Telfer, and Masterman, Desmond Llewellyn. The music was composed and played by Michael Haslam. Murder on the Orient Express was dramatized for radio by Michael Bakewell and directed by Enid Williams. <laughs>